Check. Check one, two, three. Oh, is the construction site getting a little quieter for a moment? That would be amazing. I've been living in a permanent construction site, I swear, for about a month. Digging up the road, putting in new stuff, they're building a building over there. Now they got this big machine making lots of noise, hard to make videos. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another video, it's Clay. Today I thought I would talk about romantic relationships, marriage, love, how our culture views all these things and my thoughts on this topic. I think a lot of my thoughts in this area are a tad controversial, to be honest. I've tried to, well, I've done more than try. I like to talk about this with people in my real life. And, you know, half the time I would say that's received well, and the other half the time, you know, people don't really like to hear about it. I think when I talk about this stuff, it raises a lot of questions in people's own relationships, a lot of things they would rather just push aside and not think about. I think to a lot of people, it's a really stressful thing to realize that their relationships aren't great. And so as a result, rather than dive into that and try to fix it, I think a lot of people just shut it off and almost repress it, which just creates this like mediocre state of relationship, which I have no desire to have. I, I don't, I don't want to have mediocre relationships. I want to have great relationships or, or no relationship in, in a lot of ways. I think the main issue with relationships in North American culture is I think there's some underlying problems with the way we view it, our, our assumptions, our base common sense with the way that relationships should work I feel like there's some issues with that. So I think a lot of the issues come down to the word love itself and the definitions we create for that word. It seems like the word love has become this incredibly vague thing and it means so many different things to different people. And people throw that word around without really you know, thinking about what it means. On one hand, we say that we love, but on the other hand, we try to use control to get it. On one hand, we say that we love a person, but on the other hand, it's clear that we put our own needs first. On one hand, you can say you love a person when it seems like you don't even like that person. Can love and like contradict each other? So let's talk a little bit about love here and what, what that word even means. Because I feel like in order to even talk about this issue, you first have to define this word that everybody uses. So the word love, it's, it's kind of a funny word. We have this one single word to describe all these different topics and situations. Like the Greeks have a number of different words to describe love. And to be honest, that seems a lot more efficient. In English, we have this one word that's meant to describe all these different types of situations and relationships. You know, like somebody might say they love pizza. They love their dog. They love their child. They love their wife or husband. Each one of those things is a drastically different type of love. Abusers might use the word love to describe how a person makes them feel or what they get out of that person, almost like like a parasite loving its host. I'm sure a parasite could think it loves its host. Almost like the amount of love is measured by the amount it gets. Toxic people will often 
you know, almost use love as a bit of a, a guilt method. They'll say, well, if you love me, you'll do this. If you really love me, then you'll make me feel this way. Or some people almost use the word love. They're loving this symbol of what they think that person is, almost like a dumbed-down version of that person. I think that it's possible that this type of love describes a lot of relationships, actually. People say they love the person, but really they're loving this idealized version of that person in their head. They're not actually loving that person, giving them the freedom to be themselves. The love has like conditions on it. Other people use the word love almost as an internal feeling or state. And they say they love somebody, but it's completely internal to them. And the love doesn't even spill out into any type of action. Real love is felt, but it's also acted upon. It's sort of like if there's a tree and there's fruit. If the tree is love, then it will produce fruit. So I think I would choose to define love in a romantic context as a deep emotional connection. I think that is the key to all relationships. You can go back and watch my five pillars of relationship video for all the pillars, but I think the one thing that you absolutely have to have, and one thing I think not very many people actually have, is emotional intimacy. So what is emotional intimacy? Emotional intimacy is a deep level of understanding, acceptance. You feel like you can be yourself with this person. Emotional intimacy is sort of proven by trust. Trust is built over time. It's not something that is, can just be created. I think that's, that's part of the thing about love and relationships that's interesting is people almost try to manufacture love. They think that they can create it out of thin air. And I, I really don't think personally that that's the case. It's just like you can't manufacture trust. You trust somebody or you don't. So trust is based on a history of a certain type of behavior. If somebody does something 50 times, you can probably guess they're gonna make it 51. If somebody has never done something before, how can you trust that they will do it? So I think that it's possible a lot of people lie to themselves and they almost try to induce this state of love. They try to tell themselves that they do love this person. So you know how it works in culture at least in North American culture. I live in Canada, uh, maybe Western culture. So two people meet, and at the beginning there's this, there's this element of freedom. These two individuals, they're, they're, they're separate people. Why does it start? It starts because people just enjoy each other. It's sort of like a best friend. Why do you have a best friend? It starts from a level of understanding and acceptance. So as time goes on, it's kind of interesting what happens to relationships. Our culture says that the more love you have, the more control you have over this other person. So I think sometimes people think that I'm kind of down on marriage, and it's not true. I'm down on the wrong kind of marriage. I'm I'm for deep connections. I'm against fake relationships. I think it just so happens that a lot of relationships happen to be weak. And a lot of people are living in these mediocre states. And I don't think that's personally healthy. I think it's really hard to reach your full potential as a human 
when you're kind of forced to use so much energy in this mediocre state. So I personally feel the only way a romantic relationship really works, and by works I mean like thrives, not just sustains itself and continues to exist as a marriage or as a relationship. So I think the only way for a relationship to thrive is for there to exist an element of freedom within that relationship. The two people need to remain free individuals to a certain extent. And I think that a lot of marriage problems arise when people can no longer be themselves, when there is so many obligations and expectations placed on them that that actually robs their individuality. It, it robs who they are as a person. And as soon as you get into that state where people can't even be themselves in their supposed closest relationship, I think that's what just breeds a really unhealthy state. Should relationships be hard? I almost get the impression from a lot of people that they kind of almost like that it's hard. They're almost bragging about it. Like I read an article the other day about you know, this, this woman about how it's supposed to be hard because that means you're working on your relationship. Like it's supposed to be, you know, marriage is supposed to be one of the hardest things. It's something that's hard every single day for her. And I read that and I couldn't help but think like, is it supposed to be that hard? I, I feel like the only reason it is hard is if there's a lot of compromise going on. So much compromise that you're actually having to give up yourself to an unhealthy level. Because I used to think that the, the secret to a healthy marriage was compromise. And I think that's because I've had a number of people in my life who are basically incapable of compromise. Narcissists specifically are terrible at compromise. It's kind of like their way or nothing. If they do compromise, it's, it's all part of a game to get you to do something. And in the end, it, it doesn't, they don't really change. Nothing really ever happens. You know, so I always thought as a person that was in certain types of relationships, not just romantic relationships, with people that just don't compromise, is I was the one that always had to do a lot of the compromising. And so rather than two people meeting in the middle, you know, one person just stays rigid and the other person like bends themselves over. And that person, you're going to like slowly lose yourself, I think. Uh, it's not healthy. You're basically being a people pleaser to the max and, you know, you need to value yourself a little more. But the problem is as you value yourself with a person like that and you're not just doing everything they want, it's going to create some contention in the relationship. So I used to think, well, a healthy relationship is all about compromise, two people kind of meeting in the middle. And I've kind of changed my idea on that a little bit. I think it's true to a certain level. If we're talking about small things, like who takes out the garbage? Nobody wants to take out the garbage, let's say. Well, how about I'll do this and you do the garbage? You know, making little deals like that and compromising in, in small ways, I think is a really healthy thing. However, if two people have to compromise their core identities or their, they're basically pretending to be something that they're not in order to compromise, I don't know. I've started to think that that type of compromise isn't healthy. And if two people 
can't be themselves on their own and be accepted and understood, then you're basically killing emotional intimacy. So in that situation, can you really have a healthy relationship? And I've started to wonder maybe if it's even possible to have a relationship in a situation that requires heavy compromise. Like I personally think an ideal romantic relationship or marriage should be almost effortless, sort of like a best friend, a healthy best friend. You know, it's not like people are saying, oh, it's just so hard to have a best friend. It's like literally something I have to work at every day. It's the hardest thing in life to have this best friend. I mean, most people, it's not like that. I mean, maybe if you're in some kind of weird, narcissistic, codependent, best friend relationship. But most people, it's two people walking along in parallel, enjoying each other's company and leaning on each other a little bit. So what do I think an ideal relationship is or looks like? I've sort of come to the conclusion that it is a mutual setting free between two people. And at first, I think to a lot of people, that sounds terrifying. They're like, well, I can't let this person be free because then they might go choose somebody else or something else. But here's the key. You have to choose each other freely on your own. And I think that freedom creates the environment for that to happen. A lot of people, I would say the majority of people in relationships, try to use control to create that end result. So it's almost like they're trying to create the fruit without having a healthy tree, if that makes sense. And it just doesn't make sense. You can't create fruit without first having a healthy tree. I think a relationship needs freedom and it needs two people to be able to be themselves so that they can choose each other simply because they just enjoy each other's company. A lot of people, it's almost like they try to hook a person like they're fishing. You know, like they cast their line, they hook this person and then they reel them in and then they put them in a cage. I personally feel that control will kill a relationship rather than help it. So here's an analogy I came up with. I'm trying to decide if this is a great analogy or not, but let's say you're out, you're out for a walk along the ocean on, this, on this, these sea cliffs, and it's windy, and you love the feeling of the wind in your hair, and you wanna capture that state. So you take a box, and you capture some wind, and you close it, and then you try to take it home. You can't capture the wind. It blows and you feel it on your skin and in your hair and it's this incredibly enjoyable thing. But if you try to control the wind and take it home and make it do exactly what you want and blow when you want, you're not gonna have any wind anymore. And I am tempted to think that relationships are the same way, that people kill them. I think obligations, expectations, are one way that they get killed. So I should probably clarify something here about what I mean when I say obligations and expectations. I don't mean you know not sharing things with people. So let's say there's something that this person is doing that maybe is a little hurtful. I think part of good communication and good intimacy is to deliver that in a respectful way and then allow that person the choice to you know, correct their behavior in some way. I think that's the key, is it has to be a choice. If you force people to act certain ways, that's now 
negating or going against what that person is at their core. That's more what I'm talking about. Just like I don't think that you can create a relationship out of control that would mimic a healthy relationship that's based on choice. So I'll mention one thing that I think really kills relationships that I see quite often. And that is not being appreciative for good gestures. So let's say this person makes a really nice meal for you and puts all this effort and work into it. I think it's really important to encourage and to affirm relationship building things like that. You have to be extremely appreciative of that person for doing that. So as an example, my son, he's two, almost three years old. And obviously he's still growing and learning and, and all children sort of go through this bit of narcissistic phase, you know, when they're toddlers. But he will sometimes punish me for doing nice things for him. Like, let's say I give him a cookie. He then looks at that cookie and goes, oh, I want a bigger cookie, and then has a meltdown. And of course, I don't blame him for this behavior. It's sort of what all children do. They have little meltdowns now and then. Most of the time, he's an incredibly sweet, little caring boy, and I, I love him a lot. But it's interesting, sometimes he punishes me for doing nice things for him. And, you know, a parent-child relationship is different than a romantic relationship. I think as a parent, you're kind of expected to take a little bit of extra abuse now and then because, you know, you're the parent, they're the child, you're taking care of them. But in a romantic relationship, it, it's not like that. And I think a lot of people, they use the same mentality as a parent-child and then they put it into a romantic relationship that they're now telling this person what to do. And if somebody does something nice for you, I think it's imperative for the health of that relationship to act appreciative. Appreciate nice things. I think that a lot of relationships go down the tubes for that one reason. It's like people do nice things, they feel like it's not noticed, they feel like it's ignored, so they stop doing it. And then eventually, neither person is even doing anything nice anymore and the relationship's dead. Sometimes, if that's the only issue, you can kind of rekindle that relationship by forcing yourself into doing nice things, even if you don't even feel like doing it. You know, if both people start the process, eventually it could sort of rekindle that flame a little bit and then it will become uh, something that you want to do again. So I'm not saying that you shouldn't do anything unless you, you know, feel it as this deep, passionate thing inside of you. I think sometimes relationships do take a little bit of effort. However, I just wanted to speak more to this state that people try to make that it, relationships are this incredibly hard thing that are supposed to be hard. I don't think the relationships are supposed to be hard. So if I had to put my finger on kind of one thing that I think kills relationships, that would be treating the other person like property, almost like an ownership type situation. So what is love according to culture? It almost seems a little bit like the more you love somebody, the more jealous you are, the more you control them. You know, as you back off, then you give them freedom. You no longer love them anymore. It's interesting how we've come to this place where relationship means control. Relationship means property. Relationship means ownership. And I think it's because they're trying to force the fruit. And they think that if they let the control off, 
they let the ownership off, they don't treat this person like property, then they won't get the fruit. That person will go elsewhere and have sex with, a, with 10 people. So one more thing I'd like to talk about here is arranged marriages. I had this interesting conversation with a friend recently, a couple weeks ago. And she was saying how much more successful arranged marriages often are. So if you actually look at the stats of divorce amongst people that have arranged marriages versus people that have marriages of choice, arranged marriages are splitting up way less often. However, I think this goes back to what is the definition of a good marriage, and it seems like culture views length and staying together as the definition. I think there's many reasons why arranged marriages could be more successful. One being, you know, there could be a lot more expectations on them from culture and their families to stay together no matter what. I mean, people could actually be in physically abusive relationships, but they're still staying together in an arranged marriage. Is that success? I would say no. Um, but also, sort of on the other side of the equation, I think it's possible that arranged marriages work better because people are treating them more like business relationships. And it's interesting when you look at history. A lot of times people, especially like in royal families and important families, like, you know, back five, six hundred years, a thousand years, you know, a few thousand years, most people got married through arranged marriages. And why were these, these partnerships chosen? A lot of times it was like two families coming together, almost like creating an alliance, because now these two families were stronger than a family by itself. And back then, you know, in history, things obviously were a lot different than they are now. I think it was sort of dangerous. I mean, the world was more dangerous and the bigger your clan, the bigger your crew, the more alliances you had, you know, the safer you were, but also maybe the more prosperity you might experience economically. So she actually knew somebody, sort of a friend slash acquaintance in her life, that his parents gave him two years to find a wife on his own. And if he couldn't, then basically they were gonna arrange a marriage for him. So in the end, he didn't find a wife. He went back home and he had five choices. He got like 20 minutes alone in a room with each of them. And then basically he was expected to choose his wife based on that. And so I asked my friend, I was like, well, what do you think about that? Do you think that you could choose a husband based on basically a resume? I think it's based on your mindset, whether you could do that. If you treat it like a business relationship, I think you could pick a spouse that way. Sort of like if you're you know, interviewing for a job or let's say you, you're an employer and you've got five job candidates. You have, a, you have an interview, you look at their resume, you look at their credentials, you try to get some character references to make sure this is like a, a quality person. You see what they can do. You, can, you, you talk about what you're gonna do in the future. And if you treated a marriage that way, I think that you could potentially pick a person quickly just like you would pick a job candidate. However, if you look at it more like a best friend type situation, could you pick a best friend in 20 minutes? I, I would say clearly no. I, it, it takes months or years to actually 
to even get to know a person enough to actually call them maybe a best friend. So it really depends for to answer this question about marriage is does arranged marriage work? I think it really comes down to the question of do you view it more like a business relationship or do you view it more like a best friend? I've actually run a few different businesses now and I have actually partnered with people in businesses. A partnership is almost like a marriage. It's it's something you don't want to enter into lightly, that's for sure. And now I actually started a business with somebody once and it was a, a partnership. And in the end, I was bought out because in the end, we just ended up having massive differences in opinion about where this business should go. And it was almost like a bit of a divorce when we, we did it, right? You have to split the business assets or one person has to buy the other person out. And it's this big, painful thing. But I think in a business relationship, you kind of compartmentalize things a bit and you almost don't expect this person to be your best friend. And I think that could be part of the problem with relationships in our culture. On one hand, we are getting the government involved. We are signing legal contracts. We are treating them like business relationships. We are putting all kinds of obligations, expectations, and like layering junk on top of this relationship. But then, on the other hand, we expect them to be this ideal, romantic, you know, deeply passionate, but also a best friend type relationship. And I've actually started to wonder if all these things are kind of contradicting each other a little bit. Like you can't have both. It's almost like if you view it as a business relationship, then you can have all that contract and obligation and expectation because that's what a contract is. If you have a business partner, you have clearly defined roles, you sign contracts that state that. This is your expectation in this, in this relationship. And if you don't do it, I'm going to leave. The problem with marriage is we have that on one side. We have this contract, this legal contract. But on the other side, you have all this cultural stuff saying, don't leave. No matter what, don't leave. Even if the person is breaking the contract. And, it's, and for me, I almost feel like breaking the contract is different than I think what most people view it as. Most people would view it, are you faithful? Like, are you sleeping around? Whereas I, I would look at it as, are you emotionally investing in the relationship? Have you emotionally withdrawn? Then I would say that you're not fulfilling the requirements of that relationship. It's interesting to me that people can be completely withdrawn from each other, basically living as glorified roommates. They might not even like each other. When, when one leaves, the other is happy that that person's gone. And yet society will still look at that relationship and go, good job, guys. You have not split up, therefore you are doing a good job. And I've come to the place where I, I just have to reject that mentality. I think that relationships, I, th I think that we're just looking at relationships a little wrong. I think that a lot of people are living in very mediocre relationships that are unfulfilling. But they're not bad enough to split up. And I think that is this gray middle ground that is super awkward. It's almost like people don't leave until things get so bad. I hope I don't sound cynical or I'm like basically trying to sound like I'm convincing people to split up. That's not what I'm saying. I, I think what I'm, I'm really trying to get at is I think there's some problems with the way we look at relationships. 
And how can we rearrange that to create healthy, more fruitful relationships? I think it comes from a place of freedom. I think it comes from a place of allowing somebody to be themselves. Love, I think at its core, is about wanting what's best for the other person more than yourself. I think that a lot of people are putting themselves first in the relationship. If both people put the other first, you end up with this really amazing mutual care. And sort of here's the clincher for me. The definition of a successful marriage in culture is more about trying to invoke this state called love over being truthful. It's almost like people are discouraged from being truthful. And what would it look like if we kind of redefined romantic relationships and marriage to be, I will always be true to you. I will always tell the truth. I will always be myself and let you be yourself. Rather than, I will always love you. And then using this word love in such a vague, undefined way. There is no potential for love without vulnerability. Vulnerability is the key ingredient to creating this emotional intimacy state. And I've talked about it lots in my videos. I think vulnerability is the key. In fact, I think vulnerability is the key in lots of different areas. I, I want to talk about this more, actually. I think it's the key in business. I think all kinds of successes can come from vulnerability. Uh, I think if you're an INFJ personality, I think vulnerability, like public vulnerability, is difficult. I think we're good at being vulnerable with our close people, but public vulnerability is hard. I think I've, I've always struggled with vulnerability, and it's something that I've worked towards these videos are basically me being completely vulnerable in many cases. And I think in the end it's, it's producing an interesting result. Anyway guys, thanks for watching the video. Hope you got something out of that. I realize it's a bit of a, a deep and controversial topic. And I think the first time you start to think about a lot of this stuff, it might not really click. I, I think it's taken me a number of years of thinking about this to actually start to unravel it. And I feel like I'm still unraveling it. Like I haven't fully grasped this concept yet. Anyway, have a great day. If you have any comments about this, feel free to leave them below. I'm sure everybody has lots of different interesting ideas when it comes to this topic. All right, see you later.